All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Desert Farmer Podcast. I'm Brian Bledsoe, your host, and uh, a lot to talk about today. I don't want to take too much of your time, but um, a few things that are important going forward over the next couple of weeks is obviously rainfall prospects across the central part of the country and the western high plains and even down in the southern plains. But uh, the pattern change that's gradually going to take place here over the next, say, seven to ten days uh, is going to be important for some folks. There are some folks in the region that just simply haven't had much rain at all, really, over the past couple of months. There are other areas that have done very well. So the the thing that we need to keep in mind going forward is that there are still going to be some dry areas in this pattern. Even as much rain as a lot of us saw off and on over the past several months, there have still been some dry pockets in the midsection of the country, parts of southern Nebraska, I know northwest Kansas. You you had to go back into May and June if you lived up around Atwood or St. Francis or uh, Goodland. You know, those areas were just getting crushed with heavy amounts of rain. And then it just kind of shut off for that little corner. If you go farther south, down in the southwest Kansas, if you want to go from Scott City, Tribune, down toward Hugoton, Liberal, as far east as, say, Dodge, uh, you know, those areas have fared much better. And then you go down to the Panhandle region and you've dried out a little bit there. So there are still some pockets that we need to be concerned about going forward. But there are some things that I am encouraged about over the next, say, seven to 10 days. There are some other things that I'm not so encouraged about. But the one thing that I am encouraged about is that there are going to be a few opportunities to see some rain. Some of those widely scattered showers and thunderstorms are going to get going as early as, say, Saturday across southeast Colorado into parts of southwest Kansas. Now, uh, when I say widely scattered, I'm talking pretty widely scattered here, and this is by no means going to be major rainmakers for the majority of us, at least on the front end of this. But that pattern that's going to take place on Saturday is likely going to become a little more robust on Sunday and favor those same areas that I was mentioning uh, from, say, eastern New Mexico, parts of the panhandle of Texas, west Texas, on up in the Oklahoma panhandle, southeast Colorado, southwest Kansas. So those areas probably have the best shot to see some of those spotty showers and storms as we head into this weekend. Now, early next week, really I would say from about, oh, you know, Tuesday, late Monday into Tuesday, and even into early Wednesday, there's some energy that's going to eject out of the southwest part of the United States that's going to at least give the atmosphere a little more fuel to make some of this rain a little bit more widespread. Uh, and I think for the most part, that might shift a little farther to the east. So uh, places in central Kansas, extending back into the uh, panhandle region of uh, eastern panhandles of Oklahoma and Texas, and even as far north as, say, on up into southeast Nebraska, might have a little bit better opportunity to get some of that. Now, there are still some details that are going to have to be wrestled out with this. There always are at this range. So I don't want you to just say, I'm not going to get any rain, and that's the way it's going to be. I really don't think that that's on the table right now, simply because we don't know exactly how this is going to evolve. The thing that I don't like about this is that the core of this energy is really not going to be coming out in a nice consolidated form far enough south for my liking. I think it's probably going to swing through and the energy is going to be a little bit more consolidated farther north, which drags a cold front through, which is fine. It'll put it in some of the warmth. Uh, but uh, if you don't get any rain along or immediately behind that cold front when it comes through, it makes it very difficult beyond that to talk about much in the way of rain. And in fact, if you don't get rain, I would say between Saturday 
and next day Thursday, and I'm putting this out there on the longer end of this in case this slows down a little bit, but that window of opportunity, again, this Saturday, um, which would be what? This Saturday would be September 30th, and next Thursday, which would be October 5th, it might be a while at least in the midsection of the country. Now, I have seen some other things that bring down another storm system next weekend uh, that would be colder uh, that would still give us another shot. I don't want to focus on that just yet. We can talk about that at a later time. So my focus, as far as the window goes, is from Saturday afternoon, the 30th, through the morning of October 5th. I think that's probably our best window of opportunity to get some of those scattered showers in there, which, again... Far from a guarantee that you'll see rain, but there will be some folks that I think that actually get some, uh, you know, half inch, maybe up to an inch of moisture out of this deal, which would certainly be welcome. So that's kind of what I'm focused on on the near term regarding rain chances. In terms of those that are looking for a hard killing freeze across the region, uh, I don't see much opportunity for that, at least right now. I think your better opportunities are probably going to be up in eastern Wyoming, far northwest Nebraska, and the north and northeast, where the core of that next system coming down might offer a little bit of cooler air. But farther south, unless that thing coming through uh, next Saturday, which would be around October 7th, decides to materialize, uh, I, I'm, you know, pretty um, pessimistic, I guess I should say, about any type of hard-killing freeze that's going to impact uh, much of the western and southern high plains, okay, for that reason. Um, there's a lot of El Nino talk out there, and I've been talking about this now for quite some time. So uh, for those of you that have heard this message, great. This is just a rehash of what I've talked about. For those of you that haven't, I think it's important to note that this, when, when, with as much exposure as these types of weather and climate patterns get nowadays, especially with social media, online, depends on what kind of videos you're watching, whatever, uh, wherever you're finding it. This, this information can be found legitimately everywhere. And a lot of it is misguided information. A lot of it is just simply, in my opinion, bad information. But it's also an opportunity for those that are trying to sell that type of information um, to lure you into thinking that El Nino is something that it is not. All right, so let's, let's rewind a little bit to this summer. And a lot of folks say, hey, El Nino's coming. It's going to fix everything. Eh, that's not the case. You know, there's a, there's, a, there's a signal that comes along with El Nino that benefits certain regions. There's a signal that comes along with it that doesn't benefit other regions. And I want to be real with you about it. Most of those signals, and as far as that strength is concerned, it's not a summertime thing. All right. Most of the uh, impacts that we will see and historically have seen from uh, El Nino in the past have largely come during the colder seasons. Okay. So from fall through winter and into spring, if it lingers that far, because keep in mind, a typical El Nino lasts about six to nine months. All right. Now, there could be some that last a little bit longer in a weaker fashion or subset or whatever, but. That's kind of what we're thinking uh, based upon history, all right? So, uh, and, and this El Nino has been working in tandem with the atmosphere a little bit, but it hasn't been wholeheartedly coupled and working in the traditional sense that an El Nino would, okay? So there are some things here 
that, uh, like I said, the messaging about this particular El Nino has been poor. Uh, I think a lot of the information that has been consumed, uh, especially regarding warm season precipitation events, I think that has been poor. Uh, and going forward, uh, there's probably going to be even more information out there that is conveyed in a in a poor manner. So uh, especially considering that this particular El Nino event looks to probably peak uh, in a traditional fashion, likely around December and January, and then gradually go away. Now, how gradually that goes away is still somewhat in question. Does it linger into next spring? I think we'll probably have at least some impacts uh, from El Nino linger into the spring of 2024. Now, after that, I would expect El Nino to diminish pretty rapidly. And then I would expect uh, the ocean out there to cool again. All right. And I know you guys are going, damn it, man. What are you talking about? We just got through dealing with three consecutive years of La Nina. Well, I don't want to go there just yet. But uh, historically, when we're talking about an El Nino event that came on the heels of a long-standing La Nina. We rapidly go to El Nino, and then after we see that El Nino subside, history will show you that we will go back toward some sort of a La Nina event. And that is especially true when the PDO, the Pacific Decadal Oscillation, is in a negative or cold state. And that's what we have right now. Okay, so as long as the PDO stays cold... I'm I'm still pessimistic about moisture in that longer term. We see this narrow window of opportunity here that I think that a lot of us are going to capitalize on with this El Nino event to see some of the moisture that we to eradicate some of the drought that we have going across parts of the southwest United States, across New Mexico, parts of Texas, um, and then on up into the central and the upper Midwest. I think we have this narrow window of opportunity for that to happen with this El Nino. But if that doesn't happen, okay, I have some serious trepidation about where we're headed in the back part of 2024. And I think we really have to be mindful of that. that you've been sold a false bill of goods about how great El Nino was going to be for your area, and you don't get the moisture that you're expecting, only to dip right back. It's one of those things that you have to be very mindful of about how you're going to balance the risk with your operation. I think that is really important, uh, a really important discussion uh, going forward, uh, especially for folks that, you know, if you, if you got hailed out this last year because there was so much damn ice around the area that – uh, and you don't get you know good moisture to capitalize on, you're really going to be positioned behind the eight ball if we go right back to dry uh, during the back part of 2024. So in terms of the messaging with El Nino, and this is, this is all I'm going to say about this, all right, is that the way we start with this El Nino going forward, I'm talking here we are almost in October. We're going to be in October here in three days. The way we start with this likely isn't going to be the way we finish. So if we capitalize on some good moisture for the in parts of the region for the rest of 2023, and obviously we're headed toward the cold season, so whatever happens in large part is going to be snow for some of us, um, that as we head into 2024, 
And things may be okay the first part of 24, but the back part of 2024 is something that I'm concerned about. I have made no mistake about telling that to the folks that I work for and anybody that's going to ask me that we have to be prepared for what happens uh, after we see this El Nino episode subside. The other thing that is important with this is, and I've mentioned this before, is what type of El Nino this is. So far, it's been an east-based or traditional El Nino, meaning the warmest, uh, the warmest pool of warmer-than-average water is situated uh, along the equator in the East Pacific, right off the west coast of South America. Okay, so if the warmer-than-average water pool, the the core of that pool stays there. We have this particular set of outcomes that history suggests we might have. If that shifts a little farther to the west, I still think we're okay. But I've heard this referenced on online a lot, and I, I've been looking at Madoki El Ninos, uh, you know, for at least the past 15 years since I became aware of it. And a Madoki El Nino is when that warmer-than-average pool, the core of it, shifts far enough west to where it kind of turns the traditional El Nino-like patterns on their head, meaning we have a ridge of high pressure out off the coast of California, we dump cold air and the active weather in the eastern two-thirds of the country in the west and the southwest United States kind of has some problems, uh, you know, in terms of moisture regularity and also pattern variability. All right. Now, I think that Madoki El Nino solution that I just talked about is probably an outlier at this point. I'm not saying that that couldn't happen, but we are by no means in that type of an El Nino right now. We are very much in a traditional or east-based El Nino where that warm pool is situated, which gives me uh, a little bit more confidence going forward that the southern tier of the United States would typically have a more active than usual storm track over the next several months. The Pacific Northwest is probably going to be drier than average. Same thing for the Northern Rockies, for that matter, and maybe some parts of the Ohio Valley. But if you're looking for probably some of the more active weather, uh, once we uh, the seasonal change passes and things stabilize, it's probably going to be farther south. Now, the Pacific Northwest, Northern Rockies, you're probably going to see some moisture out of this before we see the traditional uh, set of El Nino patterns take over as we get deeper into the cold season. So I don't want to diminish your moisture prospects, at least early on, uh, with the seasonal change, which uh, in many cases would kind of buck that traditional El Nino-like pattern. So the, 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 the bottom line here, is, folks, is that we this is not a one-size-fits-all type of a scenario. This is not a set-it-and-forget-it type of scenario. This is something that, uh, for myself in particular, I continue to babysit. I look at this stuff every day. And I know you might say, well, this stuff doesn't change every day. But no, but it keeps me dialed in to the little nuances that are taking place with this particular El Nino event and how things are changing in the Pacific, what the jet stream is doing. Uh, are we going to have any late season tropical activity that could uh, boost things a little bit? There's, there are things to look at basically every single day that we have to be mindful of with this pattern going forward. So um, for you desert farmers, you know, it, it's, I, I know a lot of you have already put wheat in the ground. A lot of you have not put wheat in the ground just yet. You're waiting for some better moisture prospects. A lot of you still have milo to cut. Some of you are still cutting corn if it didn't get hailed out. In uh, other places, you're looking at basically setting your 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 outfit up 
for what lies ahead as we wrap up 23 and we go into 24. So I think in particular to keep uh, on top of this stuff and be mindful of its changes, even if these changes are subtle, these are things that I'm going to continue to convey to you because I think it's it's something that's really important uh, to keep on top of. So bottom line, uh, just as a, a little bit of a refresher here in the short term, that best rain chances for you is basically coming from Saturday uh, through the middle part of next week. Beyond that, things become a lot more sketchy about when that next shot of moisture uh, can come in. And as I said earlier, not everybody's going to get it, but it's our best shot that we have, at least in the short term, uh, going forward. So again, just wanted to reach out to you folks again, say hi. I'm building my guest list about who I'm going to have on this uh, this podcast going forward. I hope to keep you entertained, if nothing else, with different topics. Um, and if you have ideas for a topic, uh, feel free to hit me up on Twitter. It's just at Brian Bledsoe. You can DM me. You just shoot, shoot that out uh, to me and uh, we can do that. Or if you want to email me, if you want to be on this podcast, if you have a message to get out there, just drop me an email. It's Brian Bledsoe. B-R-I-A-N-B-L-E-D-S-O-E-W-X at gmail.com. So again, that's Brian Bledsoe, W-X at gmail.com, or just simply hit me up on Twitter uh, and we can get that going. Uh, beautiful weather. I know we, some of us need the moisture, but it's beautiful outside today. If you haven't had the chance to get out there and enjoy it, do it. This weekend's looking good. Wind is going to pick up this weekend too. So the grassland fire danger is going to be an increasing issue um, as that energy starts to drop into the western part of the country. So please be mindful of that. We've obviously been very lucky without any wildfires uh, in terms of uh, rangeland wildfire danger and whatnot going uh, over the past several months. So we've been blessed by that. But going forward here, a lot of that grass is tall. A lot of it is crispy. Please be careful when you're working out in the field so we don't have uh, any wildfire issues with that increase in the wind that's coming over the next several days. Hope you all have a blessed Thursday. We will uh, be in touch again and uh, appreciate you all support. And thanks for being listening with me today. Have a great day, everybody.